Welcome to The Observer Effect, a podcast of travel stories. Each week, we hope to bring you a conversation with someone we meet overseas, and at least one good story. Episode 47, It All Stems from Naivety. Damascus, where Binta met an old man. We met Binta and her friend Kavish on an island in Belize. She was on her way to another four months of solo travel. Little did we realize when we sat down to interview her that traveling alone was hardly a new experience. All my days I've longed equally to travel the right road and to take my own errant path, writes Sigurd Unset one of Norway's national treasures. All right, are you ready? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so now you know the surprise, you know what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't know what he's going to say no. when oh, we throw it to it. him. So uh, and he has time to prepare. I've got nothing but lovely things to say. About <laughs> him. I'm sure. <laughs> All right, Pinta. So can you describe what you look like for the audience? Um, so what do I look like? Tall? Um, been described as 90% limbs. <laughs> um, I guess, well, I'm quite darker skinned now, but for kind of people of my region of the world, I'm quite fair. So, region of the world being originally from Nigeria. Um, Well, how else will I describe myself? He's just itching to jump in. Yeah. No, no, absolutely not. The platform is yours. Quite a prominent nose as well, so it's not... I don't think you have a prominent nose. Well, compared this to, is like... This a prominent nose. No. <laughs> True, but compared to what you consider kind of typical West African... Because, okay. so, as I said earlier, so, so my dad's side of the family are um, kind of Fulani or Fulib. So they descent of, of Arabs so you don't have the typical West African flat nose so it's quite pointy um, what else I think you've done a good job so far <laughs> yeah that's plenty thank you <laughs> certainly tall certainly limmy as you put it <laughs> limmy I love that as an adjective <laughs> <coughs> so, can you describe where we are right now? So, right now we are on the beautiful island of Kikorka. We are sitting... It's actually quite weird. So, we're sitting in a garden slash courtyard of our Airbnb. And one of the prominent things of Kikorka is a lot of the houses are brightly painted. Um, so, ours is a very nice shade of aqua. Yeah. Um, and it's just quite disjointed because it's a solid building and surrounded by essentially wooden shacks. Um, yeah, it's very picturesque. Yeah. In what way? So. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Allow me to take over this interview. Thanks. By all means. By all means. So the key feature is this beautiful tree, which. Every single 
kind of tropical-esque place I've been to has a, this tree here, but I don't know what it's called, which is really annoying me. Um, loads of hammocks, the star, you can see the stars, they've got a full moon. So it's, it's literally painting. And you said you did snorkeling yes. today? Yes, so I did snorkeling today. Can you describe what you saw? Um, so we have this running joke where we're trying to find our thing. So I've decided snorkeling is my thing. Um, <laughs> my thing's being wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so I went snorkeling today. First time in two, three years. Um, so went out with this crew called the Ragnarokin Tours and they were really good and really funny. Um, wasn't feeling, quite feeling up to it because had a bit too much drink last night. So before we set off, the captain's like, you know, it's, you might think it looks calm, but we've, ha we've been doing this every day and people get feel seasick. So anyone want a tablet to quench your nausea? I was like, mm, okay, fine, I'll take one. Worked wonders. Um, so we had three stops. Uh, first one is a place called Shark alley and it's just filled with sharks and stingrays and it was amazing water's crystal clear and you sw swim with, you swim with the sharks yeah swim with the sharks and the fish did, did you touch them you're not allowed to touch them right so did that's you? the number one rule okay. don't touch the okay. marine animals but <laughs> it was it was like i think i've been snorkeling quite a few times now and it's definitely i think probably number one or two snorkeling experience. What, what do they look like under the water? Oh, just like graceful and almost majestic. Just, it was, it was I, I can't really describe it. It was just amazing just to be, you're in their space and you're like, oh, <laughs> I'm actually honored to be here. <laughs> That's awesome. So uh, you have hinted earlier that you have traveled a lot. Like you said, the last time you snorkeled was in Egypt, yeah. which I'm, you know, wasn't really aware that snorkeling happens in Egypt. Uh, <laughs> are, does it has travel played a big role in your life? Yes, no. So I wouldn't say I've traveled a lot. Okay. Com compared to kind of my friends. So as we said earlier, so. I think Europeans compared to North Americans have this massive travel culture. Um, so I wasn't really much of a traveller um, until after I finished my first degree. So it was I was up for going on holidays and having a nice time, but actual travelling and staying in hostels and cold showers sounded my ideal of sound like nightmare. Um, so. In the UK, we have things like a gap year. So after you finish school at 18, a lot of people will take a year out um, between finishing school and going to uni. And people just take a year out and travel the world. And kind of this area is quite popular, or Southeast Asia is quite popular, and didn't really interest me. So I went straight to uni. And again, in the summers, we had long summer holidays and lots of people go traveling didn't interest me i went on holidays with friends that was fine um started so finished uni started working and i was like oh everyone's going traveling and 
maybe I should go traveling um and so that's how the whole traveling thing started um so originally I was supposed to go with a friend so my original plan was to do this trip but I had five weeks at the time and then just reading on forums and things apparently five weeks isn't long enough to go from Cancun to Panama City so for some reason I stumbled upon this website which is like a everything by road and then I got into my no everything by rail so I got into my head I want to travel somewhere by rail so was looking for like the weirdest combination so travel stumbled upon this website and they did London to Cairo all by rail I was like oh that's pretty cool so I didn't have enough time to do London to Cairo so I was like oh what's the kind of time limit and just stumbled upon Istanbul to Cairo so that was my first travel adventure. Wow. By rail? Well, it was supposed to be by rail, and then I realised like some of the <laughs> countries didn't really have a rail system, so it was half by rail, half by buses and coaches. And how many people did you do that trip with? Alone. What? And tell the listeners <laughs> the circumstances in which you became a solo traveller on this trip. <laughs> so it was it was very, very last minute. Um, so as I said, so at the time I was supposed to go out with, with my best friend at the time. And so I think we were supposed to fly out on the Friday and then on the Wednesday. So went shopping on the Saturday to kind of get stuff ready for travelling. It was fine. And then on the Wednesday, get a call. It's like, oh, so by the way, I've got a job interview next week. And we've spoken about the job interview. And she's like, oh, I didn't really want that job. It's quite far away from home. I'm sure something else will come up. And she's like, and then on the Wednesday, so my dad says I sh- really should go for this job interview. And I'll be like, really stupid to miss it. So I'm not flying out on Friday. Um, I was like, oh, okay. And how old were you at the time? <laughs> 23, 24. Oh, man. Oh, man. Um, so it's kind of like, okay, so I'm supposed to fly out in two days. Tickets are all booked. And it wasn't that expensive. I think it was like our tickets were like 200, 300 pounds. It's like, but for kind of student just started working, that's quite a lot of money. So I was like, I can either forfeit like this money I paid or I can just go I mean I've bought like travel stuff and sleeping bags and things so it just, it just went <laughs> what was that like it was very scary um as it's the first travel experience a girl that never travels only goes on holidays <laughs> to like very comfortable places and the first stop was in Istanbul and I would I thought oh it's a big city it'll be fine but in actual fact that was the point I felt the most loneliest because because it's a big city and most people going to Istanbul are like families or people going for the weekend you you kind of it's not really a backpacker stop so it was just really surreal doing things by yourself like 
I think that was the very first time ever in my life I'd had dinner by myself in a restaurant. So it was just <laughs> like, oh, what do I do when, <laughs> like, waiter comes and takes your order and then you sit there. <laughs> like, this, this was, like, social media wasn't that big and it wasn't really smartphone territory. Like, I didn't like even think there was Wi-Fi. So it was just like, okay, what do Dying I do? to log into your MySpace account. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, I just twiddle my thumb, look around. <laughs> for 20 minutes until the food arrives so yeah it was it was very it was a it was an interesting experience but after that so after Istanbul everywhere else was very accommodating and things were I think it was good to like have landed in Istanbul where big city don't know anyone and so get the scary bit over with and then it was fine and the thing, because the that trip, well, the journey is. I think a lot of people do the same route, so you tend to you start seeing the same faces mm. all the way down. Yeah, so it's like, oh, yeah. it's you again. So I made quite a, f- a few good friends, and I still keep in touch with one or two people I met out there. Yeah. Uh, can you even put words to how that might have? change to you like well it I definitely got the travel bug after that so I came back I was like oh my god it was so amazing (laughs) I need to go again like so count down till the next time I can get a holiday and go traveling again yeah and it just made like made me feel really comfortable and now I wouldn't even think twice about if I've got no one to go and go away with, I, I can just go by myself. Yeah. I see no issue with that. Yeah. Uh, and, and what brought you to Cape Cocker? Why did you choose here? <clears throat> um, so I've heard great things about it. So a friend of mine, so did uh, so part of our medical school, you have... 10, 12 weeks where you can practice as well. So you're supposed to practice medicine anywhere in the world, but most people use it as a traveling time. So a friend of mine did kind of Belize, Guatemala, Ecuador, and raved about it. And so when I was like, oh, I've got a lot of time, where can I go in the world? been meaning to do this Cancun to Panama City. This seems like a good chunk of time. Here I am. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so I just have to ask this because we met Fulani people and we, we talked about it with him before a little bit. I'm curious, do you feel any connection to that heritage or uh, do you feel drawn to learn about it or like... Um. I don't feel connected to that part, so because basically I'm kind of mixed. So my dad is from is like Fulani, and my mum's a different tribe. Mm-hmm. So I know more about my mum's tribe and kind of speak the language. And if someone asked me, so so basically, I don't know because you've been to Togo. I don't know if the same thing, but in Nigeria, the first questions are, "What are your name?" and "Where are you from?" and the where you're from is kind of what tribe are you from mm. and I automatically say I'm Yoruba which is like my mom's tribe Yeah. but then they're like oh but you don't look Yoruba 
So, and, I, and then they explained, oh, my dad's like Fulani. It's like, so you're Fulani? Then I was like, no, because I didn't speak the language. I've only, I think it was in August that I went to the northern part of Nigeria, which is where the Fulani tribe are. Mm-hmm. Um, never been there before that, so I don't really have that connection. But I do want to learn about kind of the tribe and and I do kind of read about it. And yeah. I, I just had to ask because I'm dying to meet a nomad, you know, yeah. <laughs> like a real nomad. Uh, I met one in Morocco and yeah, a Berber nomad. Yeah. And he refused to let me record <laughs> his story. He was really friendly, but he didn't want me to record. And it just broke my heart because he had a blue turban and he was amazing. But yeah. anyway, um, just that lifestyle is so foreign to the modern world. Do you know what I mean? But it's something that, that we've kind of taken on in a way. It's totally different, but metaphorically, it's the same, you know? So I am just curious, like, what legacy that leaves? Like, uh, do you know what I mean? Uh, I kind of, I, I guess I kind of have an excuse for where the traveling comes from, according to my mother, because I, oh, it's in the blood. <laughs> Yeah, you said you get, you guys moved around a lot when you grew up. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I so yeah, I've lived with my grandmother and then lived with my mom. So kind of until the age of seven, went to like five or six different primary schools. So because wow. uh, it was like jobs, where my mom's job took her. So I was kind of like a expert backpacker. <laughs> different kind of backpack. Yeah, different type. <laughs> well, uh, so you've already told some beautiful stories, but can you tell us your best travel story? Um, I wouldn't say the best, probably one of the scariest. So. I guess because it all comes stems from naivety. So I was kind of very naive, very trusting, and not not trusting. I guess not really aware of danger. This is a great setup. <laughs> <laughs> this is really. Can you entitle this podcast? It all stems from naivety. <laughs> <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Yes, yes. I was thinking exactly that. <laughs> so it's, it was the first part of my first travel of traveling. Um, journey um, so I was in Syria and met so met different people and met I think it was a Japanese couple and they're like oh there's this monastery it's amazing you need to go we've just come back from there and they're very welcoming and you can stay as long as you want it's like a good community so you stay for free but it's like a community, so everyone chips in, so people do cooking and cleaning and everything. It's like, oh, great, great, great. And it's like, I think, an hour from Damascus, where I was staying. It's like, okay, cool, I'll go there. So, um, pack my bags, head off towards the monastery. So you had to get a bus from Damascus to the nearest town to the monastery. And the monastery was like, a few kilometers out from the nearest town so didn't speak a word of arabic um got to the bus station found 
a guy who spoke some English and negotiated with him and the driver that the driver would take me to the nearest town and once he's dropped off all the passengers would take me to the monastery for kind of a few extra, I can't remember what they spend in Syria, more. Um, and that was fine, so we set off, got to the nearest town, everyone got off, and then the bus driver demanded the same money from Damascus to the nearest town, which was a good an hour away, to take me to the monastery. I was like, no, we've kind of had this agreement. Bear in mind, he didn't speak any English and I didn't speak any Arabic, so a lot of hand gestures and... But we can kind of get the sense that both were angry with each other. So I was, <laughs> and I was like, fine, I'm getting off and walking. And I think he probably, this is in the middle of the desert, in the middle of the summer, so like 40 degree heat. So I'm pretty sure he said to me in Arabic, you're crazy, you're probably gonna die halfway through, which is quite fair. So I got off, started walking, um, and got like stopped by people, but I didn't understand what they were saying, but I think they're probably saying, you're crazy, it's really hot, what are you doing in the middle of nowhere? Like, oh, you're crazy. Um, started walking and then walked for about 15 minutes and this um, motorcycle pulls up. And again, didn't speak a word of English, didn't speak any Arabic, and it was this old man. and. I think he said, oh, I'll take you to the monastery <laughs> <laughs> in Arabic. I was like, oh, great. And it was an old man. I was like, oh, it's an old man. He probably has, like, a wife and grandkids at home. This is cool. But I, th he, I think he said, oh, I'll take you to, like, my ha house is halfway along. So we'll stop in my house and then I'll take you onwards. So he just come from the market. So I was like, oh, great, that's fine. So he jumped on his back of his motorbike, pulled into his um, little plot of land. And his house was basically just like a shack. And it was just a room. And so we got, got off the motorbike, went in and he turns and locks the door I was like oh great this is where I'm gonna die <laughs> um and he was just like again didn't we didn't speak the same language so I was like oh I need to go and he was like pointing it's, it's watch and I don't know whether it was saying it'll take me in 10 minutes or take me at 10 I, I, who knows and I was like oh this is not great like I literally no one knows where I am if I die like that's it no one knows um, and then he was like, come see my garden. <laughs> so like, I'd, so his garden, he like planted like vegetables and it's like, and brought in some fresh tomatoes and cucumbers and stuff and like telling me to eat and saying I literally skinny. I was like, like literally trying to force feed me. I was like, okay, this is again to my death, like <laughs> probably pumping me off before he kills me off. So when he liked to meet the garden, I was like, okay, it's so nice to meet you, but I'm going to go now. So that's how I ex escaped from the old Syrian man who, I don't know whether he wanted to kill me or make me <laughs> wife number three. So you just left? I, I ran. You ran? So, yeah. To like, where? Well, <laughs> like, just to the main road and carried on walking and got, and so another person came in their pickup truck, luckily they spoke English, and they were like, oh yes, we're going that way, we'll take you, and then they kind of dropped me to the end of the road. 
So Syrian man, if you're listening, she's in Keacock <laughs> at a teal house um, near a beautiful tree which we don't know the name of. Wow. So yeah, I uh, need to stop accepting lifts from strangers is the moral story. So, I mean, do you think that he had bad intentions or was it just misunderstanding? I think it probably was misunderstanding, but... I guess because in my head it was this old man, so I was expecting like at least a wife at home, and I don't know. But it was just, and the fact that it was just a room, his house was just a room, and it's like this is not, this is not right. Yeah, your intuition probably knew <laughs> something. <laughs> I shouldn't be here, and the locking of the door as well. Yeah. 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 That's an incredible story. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you so much to Binta for being so candid about her experiences and to Kavish. Don't forget to check out kiva.org. We love Kiva. If you like this podcast, The Observer Effect, spread the word. Please write a quick review on iTunes. Share this episode with friends. We're coming up on number 50 in just a few weeks. Thank you to Dana Boulay for her music, still going strong. And thank you for listening. <laughs>